Dei Benedictus. Omnium iustorum spiritu plenus fuit. The man of God, Benedict, was filled full with the spirit of all the just. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Gregory presents St. Benedict to us as the Vir Dei, the man of God. The expression, though very simple, two words, is extraordinarily rich. It means, Vir Dei, the man chosen by God, God's man. It means the man sent by God, God's representative, God's mouthpiece, God's spokesman, God's prophet. It means the man who lives with God, who walks in his presence. It means the man who has given his heart to God alone, God's man. It means also, and this I think is perhaps the most beautiful meaning of Vir Dei. It means the friend of God. The friend of God. Now, this expression, Vir Dei, occurs in the first five books of the Bible where it is applied to one man only. In the first five books of the Bible, who is the man of God? The man of God is Moses. Moses. Of whom we read that Moses was the friend of God in so intimate a way that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man is wont to speak to his friend. It is precisely because St. Benedict is the friend of God, that he is for us so powerful and intercessor. Do you know, in our divine office for this festival of St. Benedict, we are given five antiphons. 
And each of these antiphons illustrates the action of St. Benedict, the man of God. One might look upon these five antiphons, an antiphon for our friends who may not be familiar with the word, is a little short text that in the Divine Office we sing to open a psalm and to close a psalm. An antiphon frames the psalm and so gives to the Divine Office on any given feast day its own special brilliance, its own taste on the palate of the soul. And we are given five antiphons, all of them taken from St. Gregory's life of St. Benedict. You know, of course, that the sources through which we come to know our father, St. Benedict, the sources are the Holy Rule with its 73 chapters. We say that the Holy Rule is a means to coming to know St. Benedict because St. Gregory tells us that the holy man could not have written or prescribed anything that he had not himself first lived. And because of this, our study of the rule becomes a way of engaging with St. Benedict and of discovering him as the Vir Dei, the man of God, in all the fullness of that expression. So we know St. Benedict through the Holy Rule, and we know him through the life of St. Benedict, written by none other than an, another saint, Pope St. Gregory the Great. So we have St. Gregory to thank for the life of our father, St. Benedict. And we come to know St. Benedict also through the icon given us by the Church in the sacred liturgy. It's a real portrait of St. Benedict. And the more we contemplate the liturgical texts for this feast, the more we discover about the Vir Dei, the man of God, Benedict. And we are given five antiphons for the Psalms on this feast, and all five are taken from St. Gregory's life of St. Benedict. And each of these antiphons reveals another facet of the Vir Dei. The first antiphon begins precisely with the words, Vir Dei, the man of God, Benedict, made the sign of the cross. Now, St. Benedict is depicted in these antiphons as a great exorcist and as a great worker of miracles. St. Benedict is depicted as the man of God, the friend of God, the man to whom God speaks face to face, the man who holds sway over the heart of God by reason of his intimate relationship with God. 
And we know that St. Benedict had the custom of blessing, blessing, blessing frequently. And it was the custom then, as it is still the custom today, of the monks of Egypt. It was the custom for an abbot especially to go about always holding his blessing cross. It was his weapon, the sign of his spiritual authority. And St. Benedict would bless not only tracing the sign of the cross, but he would bless with the cross, with the cross. And people would come from far and wide to seek out the blessing of the holy abbot Benedict. And so on this particular occasion, the man of God Benedict made the sign of the cross. Now, the background of the story is this. Some very wicked, perverted, corrupt monks wanted to poison the man of God, to get him out of the way. Oh, at first they wanted to have him as their abbot. But when he began to ask them to reform their lives, they said, the teaching of this, this Benedict is altogether too much. We might discreetly get him out of the way. And so they put a few drops of poison into his cup of wine. Now, what happened? The man of God made the sign of the cross, and the glass containing the deadly drink was smashed into pieces. Not by being struck by anything, but by being struck by the power of the cross. And St. Gregory adds, as if a stone had been hurled against it. Now, the deeper significance of this episode in the life of St. Benedict is that he reveals the poison. This is a very important gift of St. Benedict. It, it, it relates to the charismatic gift of the discernment of spirits. St. Benedict knew that there was a poison in the cup. How did he know that? He knew it in God, by a kind of spiritual intuition. He detected something toxic. And so by making the sign of the cross, the point of the sign of the cross was not to break the glass, it was to reveal the presence of the poison in the, in the glass because that poison could not resist the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this invites us to pray to Saint Benedict to show us where the poison is hidden in our lives. Poison comes in many forms. For St. Benedict, it was presented to him in a cup. But for us, where is the poison in my life and yours? Pray to St. Benedict. Ask him to reveal the poison in your life. 
and then by the power of the cross to neutralize it. So that's the first antidote. And the second, when he had finished his prayer, so the second antiphon describes St. Benedict as the man who prays, who prays always. Every monk commits himself to becoming a friend of God, a man of prayer, not praying occasionally, not praying, not even seven times a day and once in the night, praying with every breath and with every heartbeat. Saint Benedict lived in a state of ceaseless prayer. And in this particular episode, he was praying outwardly, giving outward articulation to the prayer that was ceaseless in his heart. He set up three stones to mark the spot, and Almighty God supplied water from the rocky heights. Now, on this occasion, St. Benedict was told that there was no water in the place. Where there is no water, there can be no life. No water, no life. And so St. Benedict prayed, and God supplied water on the rocky heights. Where are the dry places in our lives? Places without water. Are we threatened by a spiritual drought? Are we thirsting and have no water at hand? Pray to Saint Benedict. Pray to Saint Benedict. Ask him to obtain for you a spring of water, living water, to quench the deepest thirsts of the heart. So we have that in the second antiphon. And in the third, I, I'm very fond of this third antiphon. And it's almost the kind of thing that I would like Brother Isaias to, to, to depict in a drawing. The monks were building, as monks often do. When monks are not demolishing, they're building. As you know, you see what we demolished outside. It's because we want to build a church. So we're about building a church here. And St. Benedict had all his monks on the construction site. And they had to move a great stone. And St. Benedict, Benedict called his strongest, biggest, and sturdiest monks to try to move the stone. Impossible. And they tried different devices. How can we move this stone? And then St. Benedict, with the eye of his soul, saw what was really going on. 
there was a devil, a big, heavy devil, sitting on the stone to impede the progress of the construction. The devil hates to see construction. He delights in destruction. And especially does the devil hate to see a monastery being constructed or a church being constructed. He feels threatened. And he says to himself, I must not let this go forward. And in this case, he sat on the stone. What did St. Benedict do? He said a prayer. Prayer exorcising the place. Exorcising the stone. And immediately, the monks were able to lift the stone effortlessly. Now, where are the stones in your life and in mine? The immovable stones. Where are these obstacles that we cannot budge? Pray to St. Benedict. And he will obtain from God the freedom to go forward with constructing for God the thing of beauty. First of all, St. Benedict obtains for us the gift of allowing our lives to be rebuilt and built. And so that is the third antiphon. The fourth antiphon is nothing less than the raising from the dead of a young lad. There was an accident on the construction site. And this poor young monk was grievously injured and, in fact, declared dead. And what happened? St. Benedict prayed, and the body of the lad trembled. That's the way St. Gregory describes it. Life came back into him. He began to tremble with life. And before the eyes of all present, he appeared living, vivus apparit. He appeared alive again. This antiphon invites us to invoke our Father Saint Benedict in hopeless situations. When situations appear to have no human solution, this young monk lying dead on the construction site. There's nothing more final than death. And yet St. Benedict, by his powerful intercession, reverses what happened. The young man is restored to life. In your life and in mine, there are situations of apparent death. Invoke St. Benedict. 
especially when there is need of a spiritual resurrection. And we come now to the last of the five antiphons. And who figures in the fifth antiphon for the Feast of St. Benedict but St. Placid, Brother Placid? Now, you all know the famous story of St. Placid. St. Placid was sent to the lake at Subiaco to draw water. He was very young. He was... How old was he when he arrived at the monastery? Was he, was he five? Something like that. That was the custom in the time of St. Benedict. Parents would entrust their boys uh, to the monastery, to be raised in the monastery, to become men of God, to become men of God. Well, little Placid had a mishap at the lake, and he was carried into the water. He was going down, and St. Benedict was in his cell. And God showed him from a distance what was happening on the lake. And St. Benedict called his trusted disciple, Morris. Morris was a little older than Benedict. Morris would have been, I suppose, at this time about 12 or 15. And he said to him, Brother Morris, go quickly, because Placid has fallen into the lake and is drowning. And so Morris took off at great speed, running, 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 in obedience to his abbot's command. And he found himself, to his astonishment, he looked down and he was running over the surface of the lake. And when he arrived at little Placid, he grabbed him by his hair. Placid must have had a good head of hair. Because Morris was able to grab him by the hair and pull him out and bring him back to safety on the shore. And you know what happened after that, of course. The two young monks went back to St. Benedict. And a discussion ensued. Was Placid saved by the virtue of obedience of St. Morris or by the intercessory prayer of St. Benedict? And St. Benedict, being very humble, said it's all due to the obedience of Morris. And Morris wanted to be very humble, said, no, no, it's all due to the intercession of Father Benedict. And they had this animated discussion. You can almost hear it. A discussion the way only Southern Italians can discuss. And finally, they asked Little Placid to resolve the question. And Little Placid piped up and said, all that I know is that when I was coming out of the water, I looked up, and over my head, I saw the garment of Father Abbot Benedict. So Placid was rescued from drowning by the intercessory prayer of St. Benedict. Now, there are times in every life when we feel like we are drowning. We have to be rescued from the threatening waves. 
There are times when we feel ourselves in a downward spiral. In moments such as these, we do well to invoke Saint Benedict. And his intercession will provide us with a means of being extracted from the waters that swirl about us. And we may or may not see the garment of Saint Benedict stretched out over our heads, but we will be certain that his intercession was eff efficacious in delivering us from mortal danger. Mortal danger, I say, not only of the body, but of the soul. So, I just want you to say a word about these five entities. They're in fact uh, five icons, if you will, of St. Benedict. Five uh, portraits of St. Benedict in action. But the most efficacious, the most powerful action of St. Benedict was his blessing and his prayer. As it was for St. Benedict then, so is it for us today. We, my sons, are Benedictines, men called to bless, always to bless. Benedicere means to bless. A Benedictine is a man blessed by God and called by God always to bless. First to bless God himself. To bless God is to praise God, to thank him, to glorify him. And this we do in the monastery chiefly by the solemn celebration of the divine office, seven times a day and once in the night. But we monks are also called to bless one another, to bless one another, and to be for the church and for the world a blessing. One doesn't have to travel to bring a blessing to a given place. It is enough to pray a prayer of blessing, and the blessing is delivered, divinely delivered. And this is the powerful and secret power of the monastic life, that even the smallest monastery if it is faithful to the blessing with which God has blessed it, it will become a place of blessing for the Church and for the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.